The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Jesus, when you walk the earth, you forbid the disciples from forbidding children to come to you. You actually instructed them to let the little children come and then use them as an illustration. But Lord, the point is that you want kids to be near you. And one way that happens is that they be a part of a worship service and see adults that they know and parents that they know worshiping and praying and giving of their money and listening to the Word taught. And that's all a part of what it means for children to come to you. And we we want to be that as a church, and we also recognize that at the same time, it can sometimes create difficulties for us as adults to interact with you. And so I pray, Father, that you would shape our minds and our hearts to kind of get around that concept, but then especially right now, you would give grace to us and to me, that you would draw us back in our minds and hearts and focus us on your word that we're going to look at right now and need to hear. We must hear from you, Father. So would you speak? Would you commission your spirit to move here in the midst of us and open up the text and illumine it to us and even stoop so as to use my words? And as you do that, Father, by the power of your spirit, would you exalt your Son? Teach us and guide us and give us a a taste of and experience of and a desire for resting in Him. You've made the Sabbath for soaking in Christ. And I pray that You would grip us with that truth and you You would conform us more to Your intention so that then You would conform us more to the image of Your Son making us a people pleasing to You and bringing Him great honor as He shows Himself to be the bread of life, living water that feeds and quenches thirst. Do a a work in our midst, Father, by Your Spirit to exalt Your Son and bless Your people. And I pray it in His name. Amen. During a few road trips a couple of years ago, my family and I had a chance to listen to a delightful audiobook, a book on, it would have been a book on tape, but it was on CD, an audiobook called Farmer Boy. Being in the little house on the prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder literary family, it's the story of Almanza Wilder as he's growing up on a farm in upstate New York. And the book is fascinating in its description of Many, many details of farm life in the mid-19th century. Planting and harvesting, cutting ice out of a frozen lake, training horses and oxen, the threat of horse thieves, a fight in the schoolhouse, Fourth of July celebration, the danger of a late frost. It's all there. All of this boy's life in living color. It's alive, it's exciting, it's vibrant including even a brief description of life on the Sabbath. The dull, boring, monotonous, endless, 
hour upon hour of just sitting still quietly at home listening to the tick-tock of the clock, waiting for the sun to go down so you can go to bed and get it over with. Sunday, the day that the Lord strictly commanded to be boring, pointless, and wasted, was the worst day of the week. It's a ten-year-old boy. So Almanzo Wilder, a ten-year-old boy. We never get the adult's perspective in the, in the book. But I kind of wonder if his perspective of what Sabbath-keeping looks like is something that in the back of our minds we're a little afraid might be true. And so we avoid it and try to turn Sunday just into Saturday part two, another day on the weekend. Or perhaps in our particular setting, given what some folks who live around us, how they think about the Sabbath, we in attempt to avoid that and all that all the, they make it to be, we go to the opposite extreme, again, running away from it and pretending that the Sabbath isn't any big deal, it's just another day. But when we do that, we miss something that Jesus said in Mark 2. The Sabbath was made for man. Woman. People. The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. And as he says that, he's informing us that there is a benefit for us in the commandment of God that we observe and keep the Sabbath holy. That's what we're going to be considering today as we look at the fourth commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And my hope is that as we do that, we as a church and, and you as an individual would come to understand a little bit more of, of why God made this day, what, what it is that He intends from it, what its purpose is. And as you kind of get your mind around that a little bit, that there would grow in you a desire for obedience to this commandment so as to experience the blessing that it's meant to be for you. A fresh sense of rest in Him would result from today. That's my hope. Over the last few weeks, we've been working through the Ten Commandments in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. We've looked at the, at the foundation, the, the head of the commandments, and then the first three. And all of them are related to, what it, are about what it means to relate to and then worship the Lord our God as we live here in His world. And, and the fourth commandment is on the same theme. It's about God and our interaction with Him. So to set the context, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the foundation and the first three commandments, but we're going to be focusing this morning only on verses 12 to 15. So I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 6 through verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The passage as a whole contains the, the basic commandment and then a little bit of an elaboration on it and then a supporting reason for it and then closes off by stating the commandment again. So the commandment's at the front and the back. And both times that Moses states it, the way that he states it indicates that he has an assumption. He, he knows that the people he's talking to have already heard this before. Verse 12, he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you previously. Same thing in verse 15, the Lord your God commanded you in the past at Mount Horeb. So he knows, to put it in the terms of our Bible, he knows they've read Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments were given the first time, 38 years ago, at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. So he's giving it again here, this, this is, you'll recall, a, a renewal of the treaty, that is the covenant. It's a renewal, it's, it's a refreshing of it. They are putting themselves under it as well. And he's going to give the same commandment. But here in Deuteronomy, he gives a slightly different supporting reason than what he said back in Exodus. He knows they know that one as well. He gives a slightly different one because he's trying to, to encourage this community aspect that he's working on in Deuteronomy. So he's going to emphasize something a little different, but they're complementary. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's start with the commandment itself. They are to observe the Sabbath, to keep it and specifically to keep it holy. The concept that's being developed here is that of a festival or, or a, a holiday, a special day. Societies always set aside special days and dates in which they do things. They alter their usual lives. What you do on a holiday or a special day, you alter the usual, change things, so as to remember something and to honor it. So... When you make a holiday, like the 4th of July, for instance, those who, for whom it matters, Americans, change what we do. Most of us don't go to work on the 4th of July. We'll probably cook out a little bit, maybe set off some fireworks, have a parade, listen to some patriotic music, thank a veteran, there'll be shows on TV, etc., etc., etc. Those are the, the things that we don't commonly do, but we alter our life so as to remember something in the past that we don't want to ever forget and to experience a little taste of it today, to celebrate what's, what was in the past, to kind of bring it and, and refresh it and make it alive today. And we change our lives. What's going on? And to observe the Sabbath means basically the same thing. Alter your life so as to use this day, this one in seven. Use it to remember something extremely significant that's happened in the past that you don't want to ever forget and to experience a little taste of it today. Set it aside. Make it holy. Not in the sense of, if you're thinking of holy as like morally pure, 
not make this day morally pure. We're, we're always supposed to be morally pure. But the root of that word is to set aside, to make unique, special, as opposed to common and ordinary. So to make the Sabbath day holy means to set it aside. Set it aside, in this case, from the ordinary life that you're living to the Lord. This is a day that's dedicated to Him, if you will. Well, how are they to do that? Verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, don't work. Which is basically what the word Sabbath means. It means, in its verb form, it means to rest, to cease, to stop. So six days you work, and then comes rest day. And just to be clear, since he's speaking to the the head of the house here, don't think that, okay, you have to rest, but you can use everybody else who works for you to get all the stuff done. So you rest, and your kids rest, and your servants rest, and the sojourner that works in your house rests, and your animals rest. Everybody rests. It stops. So on the most basic level, that's how you set the Sabbath apart and observe it. You do not work. And the context should be sufficient to kind of point us in the direction of understanding what that work means. It's the ordinary, common labor of making a life. Kind of transport yourself, if you can, out of our modern economy. Most of us, if you have a job outside of the home, you probably have a job that is a I do a service and I get paid cash in return. But then I go take that money and, and use. Well, transport yourself out of an economy like this into an agrarian world, an, an agriculture land-tied world, where what work means is everything that sustains your life or sustains those who sustain your life. So it's planting crops and harvesting them and weeding and perhaps putting some fertilizer on them. And it's picking the, the crops off of the trees or, or out of the fields when, that, when it's harvest time. And it's cutting ice out of the lake. And it's building an ice house and, and grinding up sawdust to put in there to protect the ice. And it's making shingles and fixing the barn and making a new saddle and fixing the bridle and breaking the oxen and the cattle. And it's all of that stuff. That if you don't do it, you can't sustain life. That's work. That's what you do very hard for six days, and then the seventh day you stop. That's work. What you do to sustain yourself and make a life. That's what you're to stop. Why? Well, because my body's going to wear out. I need I need a break. No. Because I need some leisure time, right? I mean, i got to do something else to kind of make life worth living. No. He tells us. He points us in, in, in the right direction as to why he wants us to stop. Verse 15. What are we to do? You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with great power, with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, this is why, therefore the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath. He commands His people to keep the Sabbath so that they will have a particular opportunity 
to remember the past, what he has done. Alter your life so as to look back and get that thing that you don't ever want to forget and bring it up here and celebrate it and honor it and experience a little bit of it today. My deliverance of you out of slavery and into rest. That's why you keep the Sabbath. That's a slightly different reason than what he says in Exodus chapter 20. But they're complementary. Some of you may know this. If you read Exodus 20, the reason back there is because in six days I made the earth and on the seventh day I rested. He refers to the period of creation followed by a period of rest. Same idea. Moses presents it a little differently now because of the context he's in. Same idea though. Not just creation of the whole world followed by rest. Here is a creation of a particular people. His people, when he takes them out of slavery, that leads to rest. That's going to connect to how we apply it now. Similar idea. Creation followed by rest. That's what we're to remember. So Deuteronomy sees the Sabbath as an opportunity to remember God's work that made a people. His tremendous power, His wisdom and His grace that delivered them and brought them out and brings them in. To remember that when I brought you out, did I not carry you as a father carries a son to the desert? Deuteronomy chapter 1. And Deuteronomy chapter 2, did I not prosper you in the desert? You don't have to take care of yourself. You can't deliver yourself. You can't carry yourself. You can't actually prosper yourself. I do that. Rest in me and remember that. Sabbath is not just for physical rest. It's not just for hobbies and camping and football. It's for remembering what God has done and who He is and what He has shown us about Himself. Remembering it today and experiencing a little taste of it today. Expecting there's going to be even more of it in the future. Don't work on this day. Stop. And remember, that's the fourth commandment. Given to those who already are His people. You see that very clearly because this, perhaps more than some of the other commandments, is, is a thing that you can kind of wear on your sleeve as a badge of honor. As evidence that, look, I'm right with God. I don't do this and this and this and I do do this and this and this and therefore I'm good. No, a lot of folks believe that in error. This is a commandment given to people who already are His. As instruction as to, now that you are mine, now that you have been brought out and delivered, I want to give you opportunity and some instruction about how to live so as to remember that and enjoy it. And so honor me. So we, we can't get the cart before the horse here. This is how to live as God's people, not how to become God's people. But with that understanding, I'm going to make two observations. One related to what God has done and one related to what we're supposed to do. Let me start with God. Here's my first overarching point for this morning. The Sabbath commandment obviously was God's idea, and so it's related to this. first point is related to His purpose in it. In the Sabbath, God has created 
a structured opportunity for his people to rest in him. I'll say that again. In the Sabbath, God has created a structured opportunity. A, a particular, regular, structured thing here. An opportunity for his people to rest in him. Verse 15, he says, The Sabbath is the day for you to alter your life and to remember and, and to, to rest in remembering that I am the one. I am the Lord your God. This is, he goes right back to the foundation of the commandments. Verse 6, he brings that back. That I am the one who brought you out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I am the one who acted in power and in grace to deliver you and change everything for you. I made you who you are. Apart from me, you would be nothing. I made you in grace and in love and in great power. I clearly acted. Do you not remember that? I delivered you. Rest in it. Find hope in that. Enjoy it. Delight in it. I made a promise a long time ago and I kept it and you saw it. I've made another promise. There's going to be a coming greater rest. I'm going to keep that one too. So relax in me. Rest in me. Hope in me. Trust in me. As you remember what I've done. He's done a marvelous thing. But what's that pointing to? What is it pointing to for us? We are not supposed to sit here today, gather here today, and remember how God brought the Israelite people out of Egypt. If that's all we're doing, that's a nice point in history, several thousand years ago. It's all pointing to something. And here's where it connects to what else he said in Exodus. There's a theme here. I already alluded to this. The, the creation that leads to rest. The creation of a people that leads to rest. It's all pointing to the new and greater creation of a new and greater people that leads to a new and greater rest. What Jesus accomplished at the cross and in the resurrection. It's pointing us towards something. When we gather here, when we live through our Sabbath day, Resting in Him and remembering the deliverance that He has wrought in His great power and wisdom. What we look back to is what all that stuff was pointing forward to. His delivering of us out of a greater slavery than that of Egypt. His delivering of us out of a slavery to sin. In power. In wisdom. And in grace. We sit here today and we remember that and we rest in it and say, Oh, what you have done to deliver my soul, not just my body out of physical bondage, but my soul out of spiritual bondage. Bless you, Lord my God. <sighs> you rest in that. He's created a particular opportunity for that kind of rest to happen. For us on the Sabbath. So I got to pause right there and say, I'm perhaps speaking to some people this morning who don't have any idea what I'm talking about. 
are you talking about? The, the rest that Jesus created, the deliverance of, from the bondage of sin. What are you talking about? What I'm, I'm talking about is the whole point as to why Jesus came to the earth. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who came to earth in a body for a particular reason. So that he could die. So that he could die as a punishment for sin. For whose sin? For those who trust him. For human beings. He died as a punishment to take the punishment due to human beings for their sin. To take the punishment off of a human being, potentially off of you. So that you cannot be under the penalty of God, but under the grace of God. To not be under duress, under stress, under pressure, under indictment. But to be liberated in hope and in joy at rest. Right now, even as you run through the world and all its craziness, you can be at rest in your soul right now. As the penalty for sin is transferred onto Jesus, Jesus then gives you back connection to God Himself. God comes and lives inside of you and you can communicate with Him personally and have rest with Him. That's what I'm talking about. The, the liberation from bondage to sin is the liberation from punishment. The liberation from it being a master over you and, and controlling you and driving you to actions and fears and thoughts. You can be liberated from that and God can come and live inside of you and He'll be your master. And He is a marvelous, gracious and loving master. Rest can come and live in here. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the cross is about. That can be yours if you trust Him. That's what we are on the Sabbath. That's what we are to look back at what He has done in the past. Look back at it and say, bless you. And to realize, to kind of run it through our minds in a slow and sustained manner. Not in a moment as it comes out of the preacher's mouth, but to run it through your mind in a slow and sustained manner. Like the, the water in your swamp cooler that runs and gets recycled constantly. And it soaks the pads on the side. It doesn't start out that way. It starts out with a little stream running right down the middle. And then it spreads out and soaks the whole pad on all the sides and the whole thing's wet. It's soaked. But it takes a little bit of time. So when God created the Sabbath, what He, he said was not, you know what I really need is I need some inactive people. I need some bored, stiff inactive, religiously operating people. What he said was, you know what my people need? Is they need room. They need time to soak in me. They need space to get away from, to step, step away from the rat race they will find themselves in in their fallenness. To get 
out of that and to gain some perspective by seeing set against it that they can now look at from a distance to see set against it me and to remember all that I have done, all that I've delivered them from and all that I'm doing in their lives right now and all that I will do. They need a perspective to kind of bring hope back to that. To remember and to remember. To experience that rest even now. I know what I'll do. I'll create that room for them. So they won't ever have to say, I just don't have time. I just don't have time to meet deeply with God. I mean, I really wish I could, but it's too busy, too hurried. I'm going to clear all that off their schedules for them. And then I'm going to command them to participate. That'll be a blessing to them. My grace displayed in abundance. I'm going to give them one day in seven. And then he multiplies it through Israel. One year in seven. And then one year in fifty. He multiplies. I'm going to give them space so that they can soak in me. A structured, regular opportunity to rest in Jesus. problem for us is that a lot of us don't really believe that. I don't think anybody would, maybe you would, I don't know, you'd say it in the hallway afterwards. I don't believe that. But you don't. I don't sometimes. We don't. Because we've got all these rushing agendas kind of coming at us. There are other things presenting themselves. You know what would be really good for you? What would be best for you is to, is to take a weekend and go camping or, or to play golf all afternoon or maybe even twice if you skip service in the morning. And there's an endless bevy of NFL games on from, you know, like late summer to early summer. It, you can find stuff to do and that'll actually be what you really need. What you need is a break from work, which is leisure and, a, and rest of that sort. I play golf, okay? I'm not bashing that. We're going to talk a little bit more in the next point about what you can and can't do on Sunday. But the, the point is, what, there's something that presents itself to you contrary to God's commandment here, God's gift of the Sabbath here. There's something that presents itself to you, and it is an endless agenda of other. And in our fallenness, our hearts are strongly inclined to believe that that is actually what we need. Our fallen hearts believe that. The world, who has no idea about the rest in Jesus, certainly believes that. And bet a dollar that Satan believes that. And wants you to believe it. So you've, you've got some competing voices here. Set up against that is the voice of God, I want you to remember my deliverance and experience my rest. Which right now, this is the opportunity for that as a foretaste of the great rest that I'm going to bring at the end. The eternal Sabbath. If you believe you'll be satisfied in heaven, you should believe you can be satisfied on the Sabbath by resting in Christ. Because this is the taste of that. But, if on the other hand you believe that heaven will be boring because there won't be, name it, I think there will be a lot more there than you think. There's going to be a lot of great stuff there. 
But you have to believe that heaven is going to satisfy your soul. He made you. He made it. He knows what he's doing. He's given you a taste of that here now. So it's really a question of belief. Do you believe God or not? May he give grace to you to believe him. That he's given you a gift in giving you the Sabbath. An opportunity to rest in him, space to soak. He's created a structured opportunity for his people to rest in him. But the Sabbath Sunday is supposed to be for the people of God. So what specifically does that look like? I'm going to turn to the second point then. So turning from what God has done to what we are to do, here's the second observation. Keep the Sabbath holy for your own great good and for the glory of God. Keep the Sabbath holy. Set apart for special use. Different. Verses 12 and 15, we're commanded to keep the Sabbath. Six days you do all your work. Interestingly, not five. Six. It's not five days I do my job, and then two days I have a weekend. In, in God's setup, it's a six-day work week and a day of rest. Now, I think in our modern economy, it might look like five days at the office, if you have that kind of a job, if you have a job outside the home. Five days at the office, one day around home doing stuff, and then a day of rest. But the, the point is that it's a, a six-one world. Six-one world, not a five-two world. Sunday is not one of the days of the weekend. It's, it's different than the other six. You follow that. You gotta see that from the text because we, we think Friday night through Sunday night is the weekend. It's not how God divides it. Which means, I think, that you have to fundamentally change your Sunday. That the one day is supposed to look different than the six. There's a difference there in a one-six world. There's got to be a difference. Something that breaks from the regular, that alters the normal pattern of life in a six-one world. With one day given to remembering and resting and worshiping. And that may require some reordering in your life. To start drawing the divide between Saturday and Sunday rather than Friday and Monday. And I imagine the number of you are thinking about now, okay, but let's be specific. What do you mean? Let's get down to it. I mean, what I really want to know is, can I mow my lawn and play golf on Sunday? Can I go out to eat? Can I go hiking? Can I watch TV? Or are you saying that Sunday is supposed to be one gigantic worship service or quiet time of Bible study and prayer? Or worse yet... Quietly listening to the tick-tock of the clock. Praying for the sun to go down so you can get it over with. What I really want to know is, can I mow my lawn and can I go hiking on Sunday? Of course not. Of course. Sure. Maybe. It all depends. 
trying to be vague there. <laughs> it doesn't sound very helpful, but I think it's the approach the text requires of us. I think it's the approach the text requires. There just is not a lot of detail in the Bible about what you can and cannot do. You realize that? There's just not a lot in there. Beyond the six days you work, and then on the seventh day you don't, and that the six days obviously would be the sustaining of life, what it takes to build a life, and then you don't. Beyond that, there's not a lot of detail, which is why it did not take very long at all for Israel and countless people since then to start drawing the lines and filling in the blanks. It didn't take long at all. I mean, pretty quickly. <clears throat> Today, you know, in, a, in a modern setting, I read one commentator who mentioned a modern Jewish interpretation, trying to figure out what is work. And I don't know that this is, I mean, he's certainly Jewish. I don't know if this is official Judaism, so don't take it like that. But, but this one rabbi said, here's, here's how you can tell. For instance, loading dishes into the dishwasher, if you do it in a haphazard way, that's okay. But if you do it in an orderly way, all the cups here and all the bowls here, that's doing the dishes. And that's work. That's forbidden. I, I suppose you could draw the line there. That seems kind of silly. But we've done similar things. Christians have done similar things. It's not, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus faced the same deal when he was walking the earth, constantly combating with the Pharisees about his Sabbath activity. But if you look to Jesus to draw the lines, you don't get much help there either. There are several accounts in the Gospels, and we looked at uh, some of them when we worked through the book of John. We're not going to look at any of them this morning. Several accounts in the Gospels where Jesus deliberately goes out of his way to heal on the Sabbath because he is creating a conflict. But it is not a conflict about what is and is not permissible on the Sabbath. It's a conflict about who is Jesus. It's a Christological conflict, which is why numerous times those things end with, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. One greater than the temple is here. He ends with things like that. So, he's not exactly, it doesn't really help us that much. Trying to fill in the blanks and draw the lines. We still have the same problem, can I mow my lawn and go hiking on Sunday? And I think the reason that we have that problem is that we're approaching it from the wrong direction. If you think about the law, the law and God who gave the law is always concerned first about the heart. Behavior comes from the heart, but it's concerned about the heart. And if you skip right to the question, can I mow my lawn, using that as shorthand for all the other questions, if you skip right to the question, can I mow my lawn, you skip right over the heart and a move to what can and can I not do? behavior. And you really want to know that so that you can check off the box and feel like you did it. And God says, I am most concerned with the heart whose affections are set on me. If you don't mow your lawn and sit at home with your mind and heart a thousand different places, you haven't kept the commandment. And if you do mow your lawn in prayer, you have. 
Which is why I say it depends. He's after the heart. So we need to approach this. We need to approach this whole question of the Sabbath. Not from the perspective of what can't I do and how long can't I do it. But rather from the perspective, what would it take to experience the blessing God has for me here on this day? So that this day, this Sunday, this Sabbath will be quite different from the other six days of the week. When, if I'm honest, I'm often scrambling trying to find Him and meet with Him as the pressures of the world pile in on me. What would it take so that this day would be a day that I soak in God and all that He is for me in Christ? A day for blessing others in Jesus' name and helping them soak in God and all that He is for them in Christ. What do I need to do so that when I go to bed tonight, I lay my, de- my head down the pillow preparing to head into my six-day work week saying, Ah, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like a dry sponge, I have been placed into the living water and I have expanded as I have soaked Him in. And now I am dripping wet with much to squeeze out of me throughout the rest of this week for blessing for others, for sustaining my own life and for helping them. What would it take so that this day that happens? That's why God made the Sabbath. For you to soak. To soak in and soak up Christ. To taste Him, to drink Him, and to find, here's how it's to, that's for how it's for your great good, this is how it's to His glory. And you find that He is what sustains me. He is what gives me hope. He is the bread of life that feeds me. And He shines like that. As that. In your life and in those that you affect. And they say, how are you so full? How are you so rested? I had a great weekend. I drank in Christ all day. It was awesome. That's what explains this life. You start seeing the Sabbath commandment in that kind of light. Starts to sound a little bit like somebody requiring you, mandating that you go on an all expenses paid date with your spouse. I know not all of us here are married, but you've all kind of seen this. If you've, if you've ever dated anybody, if you've been engaged, you've been newly married, or seen anybody who has, you've seen this. Where the, the desire to go on a, on a date with your spouse is, is there, it's, it's present. And as you're looking forward to the upcoming date, you're not at all thinking, but I'm not going to be able to mow my lawn while I'm on the date. It's not in your mind. Because the relationship is alive and it's feeding you and that's what you want. And you're focused on what you can do and who you will be with rather than what you can't do and what you can't be with. That gets changed. But for some of us where our relationship with our our spouse is a little bit old and a little bit stale, there might be the first couple dates where you're kind of thinking, what are we going to talk about? The reason we don't go on dates is that we don't have anything to talk about. 
That might happen for the first couple times, but it will grow. And moving out of that analogy, it will grow when you go on a regular Sabbath date with Christ because He's God and He'll change you. What would it take? What would it take for you to tonight lay your head down your pillow saying, Ah, I've rested. I've soaked. That's the question. I thought we're supposed to approach the Sabbath feeding your heart on the positives, which is why I'm not going to tell you anything more than what the text says about what you can and can't do on Sunday. Six days you work, one day you don't, you soak in Christ. But I am going to give a couple of tips that should not be thought of as requirements or here's how I know. I'm really hesitant to do this because somebody's going to write these things down and mentally put little boxes next to them and you're going to want to check them off. Don't do that, okay? But I'm going to give these things to you because I think they are minimal first couple of steps helpfulness. Things that I have struggled with and in some ways have grown in or at least realized that I haven't grown in. A couple of thoughts. First, get control of your schedule. Get control of your Sunday schedule. And that begins before Sunday. It includes getting control of your Saturday night schedule so that you're not up till 1 a.m. on Saturday night coming to church dead tired or sleeping and skipping it and then needing a nap in the afternoon because you can't stay awake. It's hard to go on a date if you're asleep. So it, it starts on Saturday night, but get control of your schedule and forbid people from putting stuff on your schedule that will inhibit whatever it takes for you to come to Sunday night ah, refreshed, refreshed in Christ. So you, you just hold those things off. Don't let them go on there. Skip them if other people put them on there. There are things that should be on your schedule on Sunday. I think that the Bible is pretty clear that we are to meet together and worship. That's what we're doing right now. Other things that are that are of service to other people, that are blessings to them, that, that help them, that encourage them to walk with Christ, whether it be a church small group, whether it be ministry or something like that. You can put those things on your schedule because they should be helping you commune with Christ. But whatever it is that you need to do there, keep the other stuff that will kind of press it out, keep that off your schedule. Secondly, a, a word should be developing in your mind. The word contemplate. I use this word a lot, and sometimes as I talk with people, they'll, they'll say to me something like, you know, I'm really not that much of a thinker. You're a thinker, Steve, I'm not. And it's true, there are different degrees that we, we all occupy on the, on the spectrum here. But here's the reality. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, He's praying for the disciples and the church that would follow in their footsteps. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And if we say, I'm not a reader and a thinker, so I'm going to skip the word. You're going to be at loggerheads with Jesus' prayer. He has, he has communicated to us in his written word. He meets us in the written word. We've talked about this a thousand times. Read James 1. He has birthed us by the word. And so you have to have information that is scripture-based that then goes into your mind 
and bounces around in there and is contemplated. That's part of what you're soaking in, not just an experience of Jesus. How do you know who you're experiencing if you haven't read it and thought about it? So the word contemplate, and particularly contemplate doctrine, which sounds like a bad word to some of us, but it is not. It is glory. It's the truth that sanctifies us. If you will sit and give your mind to the truth of the cross, if you will take to Him the problems that you face in this world and work through what difference the cross makes for this, what difference it makes that He says, I am forever for you and nothing will separate you from my love. If you will sit down and contemplate your problems here now in face of the eternal rest that is coming, it will change your life. Now at first you may sit there and say, what are we going to talk about? The reason we don't do this is that I don't know what to talk about with you. It will change. He will change it. And if you need help, particularly, that's a great opportunity for getting to another person and the two of you together working it through, or the three of you, or the four of you together. You need not think, I will spend the whole Sabbath all by my lonesome. And for many of us with families, that's impossible. So get with other people and work on this with them. Contemplating truth. Don't seek an experience. Seek and contemplate the truth that breeds experience. You delight in Christ when you see all that He is and you come to know all that He is in the Scriptures. So get a hold of your schedule contemplate doctrine. And lastly, I've already touched on this. Be around the people of God and encourage one another in this process. Sometimes we fall on this and we think that I am supposed to do this all by myself. We use the phrase quiet time sometimes. And that means that I go all by myself into my back room and be alone for two hours. And what that often means is that I daydream for an hour and 45 minutes and sleep for the other 15. Be, get around other people. The, the community of the saints is, a large bit of it is for this. To encourage one another to pursue Christ to point out to one another doctrine, to help one another observe. Here's the truth. Here's the problem in your life. Let me help you connect these two things, brother, sister. Not any kind of a condemning or judgmental way because I know better than you, but so that you know, you'll be in a better spot so that five minutes from now you can turn the tables and help me. One another. So those are a couple of maybe rough guidelines that I hope do not translate directly into, I must do this and this and this, and therefore I can check it off and say I've accomplished it. Because the goal, remember, the goal is to soak in Christ. To keep the Sabbath holy. To set it apart and make it different than the other six days of the week. Maybe you work on Sundays. Maybe you've got a job that requires you to work on Sundays. You're a fireman. You work in a hospital and you have to take certain numbers of shifts. It's hard. 
Don't, don't skip it. Make it Saturday or Monday. But work on keeping a time. Sunday's the best day because that's when most of us will be doing it. But work on keeping a time when you can drink in Christ and satisfy your soul and thereby glorify Him. There is a day coming when we will all, if, if you're a believer, if you have trusted in Christ alone to pay for your sin, on the cross, there is a time coming when you and we all together will experience a marvelous eternal rest. The Sabbath that is coming, and He has brought a bit of it now here and created a structured opportunity for us to rest in Him. Take Him up on it in obedience. Keep the Sabbath holy. Let me pray. Father, there are many details left unanswered. And I'm thankful that, to my understanding, many of them are left unanswered by You on purpose. It can be frustrating, but it can also be a great thing. Because it forces us to deal with You in the heart. And so would You do that? Would You help us, Lord, to deal with You in the heart? Would You create in us desire, faith that believes that You will satisfy us? Create in us that hope, that trust. And Lord, then when we, when we come and meet with You for maybe a little bit longer today than we otherwise would have, when we are mindful of You in a little bit different way than we might otherwise have been, we sit down across from the table with you on a date in some sense. Would you lead the conversation? Would you meet us and speak to us and nurture us and fill us up? Deliver yourself to us that we might taste and see that you are good to your great glory and to our great good. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.